the second pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Donovan McNabb, quarterback, Syracuse University. Don't boo. Hello again and welcome to another edition of the Philly Frenetics podcast. I'm Joe Greenwich. He's John Sager. John, this time last week, we talked about a number of things, but right off the, the bat, no no pun in, okay, pun intended, looks like we nailed the Baseball Hall of Fame election, huh? Another year that I have to wait for Scott Rowland, but yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that was what I was going to get to. Uh, what did you think of his increase in percentage? Do you think it's just a matter of time now? I think so. Guys like him tend to be on the track. There's no real mitigating circumstances with him like there are with other candidates who are no longer on the ballot. Uh, mitigating circumstances. That is probably the, the most generous way I've ever heard that presented. <laughs> I try. Um, but ultimately, overall, I, I feel like he's on track and Philadelphia is going to have, uh, I would say, some reckoning to do within the next two seasons. Somebody who won't be reckoning with a Hall of Fame selection Ryan Howard fell off the ballot. Did that surprise you? Yes and no. I got to like, say no. I'm sorry. Like, I, I got to say no. This was probably a bad year for him to have his first year on the ballot with all of those guys who you mentioned that are now going to come off the ballot. Had he made his debut in the ballot next year, he might have gotten a little more love and enough to stay on the ballot, I think. I, I think you're right. We're going to be interested to see. Uh, I, I don't know if he's actually even ineligible already and just fell off, but I feel like he and Prince Fielder had about the same career. And they're both guys that were dominant, no doubt about it, Hall of Famers until injuries. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the power numbers and you go, not as good as other guys. But, you know, they're both guys who were at the peak of the game. You wonder if he's someone who could get revisited by an old timers committee later on down the line because he did have, you know, whatever Phillies you think may or may not be able to get in the hall of fame from that period. He's the one that had the best peak by far. And, you know, having him kind of go off, you know, in the first ballot, Jimmy Rollins, like barely kind of clung onto it. Um, you know, but he had the, probably the better overall career. So, like, I don't know. It, it's one of those things that as a fan you're kind of wrestling with. Like, you know, how do, how do these guys not get in? Like, there was no doubt in our minds in 2008 and 2009 that there was going to be a day when all four of them, like, had their plaques lined up next to each other. And, you know, now maybe none of them will get in. Now those plaques will have to line up in right field at Citizens Bank Park. <laughs> uh, since we last chatted, the Flyers won a game, John. It was in overtime, but still, the Flyers won a game. They ended a 13-game losing streak. I'm willing to say it's because we talked about them. Well, I mean, the Kings were 0 for 2 on Saturday in Philadelphia. You know? Why was more not made about that? I know it's a dumb thing, but it's like, oh, the Flyers are playing the Kings in the afternoon, and the Sixers are playing the Kings in, at night. And, and that was a pretty close game, too. Tyrese Halliburton trying to show off maybe the Sixers should have traded for him. Or I guess they still could. Although it seems like Sacramento has withdrawn from the race for Ben Simmons. Do you believe that? I, I don't believe anything that I hear. We'll talk about one thing that we all heard on Saturday that 
you know, may or may not be true. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I, I don't believe any of that stuff I hear until the deadline passes and the deal isn't made. But I, want, I wonder if, if maybe Daryl Morey is like, okay, well, that might be a good piece. We'll see. I am enjoying the little reactions where people will see those reports and go, oh, Daryl Morey has lost his mind. It's like, do you really think any of this stuff is true? This is getting out there what he wants us to think right. or he, what he wants specifically other GMs to think. Nothing gets reported by anyone that isn't reported because the team wants it out there for some reason or another. Who are these people's f- sources? D- Daryl Morey is a lot of people's source in the Sixers, right? <laughs> there was a fantastic quote from Jason Stark, uh, as everyone knows. Another, you know, speaking of Philadelphia Hall of Famers, this trade deadline on his own uh, his own podcast, where he talked about a story when his daughter was young. She said, "Like, Dad, why do people tell you things like this?" And he had to to kind of think about it for a second. It's just one of those things, like, as a fan, you have to think. You see these things, the free agency and, and whatever. People aren't telling you what you want to hear. Do we really believe that Howie Roseman is 110% on Jalen Hurts? No. Like, obviously, he's keeping his options open. He like, better not be after the last two weekends. I'll tell you that. There's a lot of stuff out there. Like, we don't have to. Like, why do we care about press conferences? Nothing gets said unless it's like Joel and me talking about Ben Simmons, and then we can debate, you know, comma placement. But outside of that, like, I don't know. Like, what's the point? Well, John, another famous Philadelphia Ben, Ben Franklin, once made a comment about beer being proof that, that God loves us and wants us to be happy. So... You want to know what's the point? I want to know, what are you drinking? Water. Hey, what are you drinking? Now, wait a minute, John. I set you up for the perfect segue into to some sort of beverage taste test, something, and you just hit me with a water. There's no more Philly beverage than water. <laughs> uh, John, to answer your question, I, you know, I, I took my own prompt drinking. I, I believe I've had one of these before, the Coffee Ferrari blonde stout with coffee from faces brewing company it sounds cool yeah there, there's a stick uh, the label is really cool but there, there there's uh there's something on the sticker that says like, drink local and i looked it up and faces brewing company is in malden massachusetts so i'm not drinking local uh 8.4 percent alcohol by volume i just like that it's blonde stout with coffee like they're not even pretending it's 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 coffee it's, it's just with coffee And that was What Are You Drinking? Brought to you this week by Neil Young. Because, you know, we're on Spotify too, John. Could also ask what the Kansas City Chiefs were drinking. Normally, we we, we like to talk about sports in general. But this one, whether we like it or not, still has a little bit of a Philadelphia connection. As Andy Reid's Kansas City Chiefs, arguably the biggest choke slash collapse in AFC championship game history. They blew a 21 to three second quarter lead Cincinnati Bengals with a field goal in overtime, knock off the chiefs, 27, 24, the Bengals whose last Super Bowl trip happened when you were like one are going to the Super Bowl. Was this a, a choke or was this an all timer by the Bengals or was it both? I think the answer is it was both. You know, nobody nobody chokes in a vacuum, right? First of all, I was four when the Bengals went to the last Super Bowl. 
Second of all, <laughs> I forgot you're a little older than I than I thought. That's right. Second of all, I, this might have been a case where the Chiefs were drinking their own Kool Aid a little bit too much. No, you're right. They nice. don't happen in a complete vacuum. Like, obviously, the Bengals' defense played really, really well, but at some point, you have to overcome it. But when you look at Patrick Mahomes' stats between the first half and the second half, like, I think he had like 55 total yards or 55 passing yards in the second half versus like over 200 in, in the first half. Like, there was a clear point in that game when the momentum turned right before halftime when they did not score that touchdown. You could almost sense it. It was one of those weird things that, you know, you think even if they got three points, it, you know, that's that's something. But, you know, there was this, this weird thing where you sense like, huh, like that shouldn't happen. Like something's a little little weird. And like earlier on in the game, now granted, I think it wound up being a sort of a moot point because they scored on the drive later, but there was a penalty and uh, I, I think it might have been offsides or something like that. Um, and so, you know, the fly gets thrown. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes has a free play. So he chucks it up to Hardman, who's like lollygagging towards the ball. Still almost could have caught the, the pass for a touchdown or like something at like the 10 yard line. Like nobody really made a big deal of it, but like it, it was obvious that he didn't go all out in the play. It's the kind of thing like, wait a minute, this is the AFC championship game, right? Yeah, and what are you saving it for? <laughs> exactly. Like, are you are you that tired from last week? So it was just one of those things you're wondering, like, maybe they weren't completely locked in. Well, you asked about being tired from last week. Physically, they shouldn't have been. Psychologically, maybe. You know, a game like that, even when you win, takes a mental toll. And it's really difficult to stay locked in all that time. It's really easy when the other team is scoring every time they have the ball, like we saw in the Buffalo-Kansas City game. But the Chiefs just had their way with the Bengals for the first 28 minutes of that game. Right. If they came out flat, I would say, okay, that's why. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you saw the clip from the Kansas-Kentucky game, where I believe it was Kansas was coming out of the locker room and... The, the flap of the scoreboard over the tunnel that shows the time, it came unlatched and came down and whacked a guy in the face as he's running out to the floor. I have not seen that, but I'm going to It's not to funny, it. but then somebody put the, the Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler stuff over it, which made it funny. You almost wonder if something like that happened to Patrick Mahomes. He got whacked in the head on his way out of the locker room and played like a totally different guy. I mean, possibly by Jackson Mahomes. Possibly he was <laughs> maybe you know, he spent too much time, uh, yeah, you know, looking at his you know, TikToks. You know, but, Brittany uh, Matthews like <laughs> like sponed the champagne out. Maybe like something got in his eye. Like it's, it's I all feel possible. like people care a little bit too much about Patrick Mahomes' wife and brother. Like, like you're you're giving them exactly what they want, and so I'm not going to do that. You can feel free to do that, John. I'm not going to do that. What I am going to say is that. You do have to give the Bengals some credit. They dropped eight guys into coverage quite a bit. Patrick Mahomes had all sorts of time, but in a lot of cases, no one to throw to. And so, like I said, nobody chokes in a vacuum. The Bengals deserve all the credit in the world. But you're right. The Chiefs should have been able to overcome it. Maybe run the ball a little bit more because they, they weren't doing it. You know, you, you're always shouting on here to Doug Peterson, to Nick Sirianni, to whoever will listen – Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. The Chiefs didn't run the ball enough to keep the Bengals honest. And when they did run it, they weren't as effective as they needed to be. And I, I, I don't I don't know 
how much I believe in momentum and and how much I believe in your history, you know, catching up to you at moments. But I definitely believe that that you can tighten up in a situation like that. You know, we're up twenty-one to three. All right, it's twenty-one to two. Ah, you know, we didn't score. All right, ah, you know, we didn't score on this drive. How we didn't score up? Ah, now ah, it's twenty-one. To, you know, we're still. Um, oh, they're coming back. All right, come on, guys, we gotta. And you just tighten up, and and that may be part of what happened. You know, people are gonna look at this as. You know, what is wrong with the Chiefs? Are the Chiefs over? Well, the Chiefs have hosted the last four conference title games for a reason, right? They went to two Super Bowls. They won one. That's still pretty impressive. Andy Reid, though, three and six in conference title games. That's nine trips, by the way. There have only been, what, 53 rounds of conference title games? If you look at when the Super Bowl started versus when the merger happened. And he's been in one of them more than one-sixth of the time in NFL history. Now, of course, you compare him with you know, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady, but very, very impressive to get to that point. Starting to think maybe maybe there is something to it, and I wonder if it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that regard. Well, I, to talk about your, your earlier comment, I think there is such a thing as momentum – it's different in each sport. It's hard to quantify, but you kind of know it when you see it. And we definitely saw it, you know, coming out of halftime of that game. You know, and baseball momentum is your starting pitching. Basketball, sometimes it's the hot hand. You know, there's the hot hand fallacy, but... Sounds like momentum is exists. confidence in your mind as much as anything. Yeah, it's... it's yeah, it kind of. Uh, to where it's... Just, it's entirely a mental thing. And that's fair, Right. Like, right. It's if you believe that you're going to succeed and your opponent believes that they're failing, then you're already done. You know, right. You see it in body language a lot. Guys start to hang their heads, you know, rolling their eyes, stuff like that. You know, I mean, I can tell you from my experience in elite top level competition bowling, my bowling league. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting there. Uh, it, it's true. Even in something as low stakes as your Thursday night bowling league, the idea of momentum, self-fulfilling prophecy, the, the, the mental game is there. I was off to a terrible start this year. I got a new ball to use in certain conditions. And in the six weeks since I'm, I'm averaging like 210. a humble brag. If, if you can humble brag about something so dumb as your bowling average but it's true and even when i don't use that ball i'm bowling better why better bowling breeds better bowling it's probably true for real sports and yeah i said it so w when you're playing well like patrick mahomes was like 13 or 14 at one point something when you like hit that, yeah. when you've hit 10 of your last 11 or eight in a row or whatever you're gonna hit the next one too why because you just you're just gonna do it and, and it's it's almost inexplicable in some way. Like, it shouldn't work that way, but it does. And it also works in the opposite way. And the Bengals got a lot of confidence. Mahomes tightened up. He made some mistakes. Watching him run backwards on, like, two straight plays on the goal line with a chance to win the game and go to the Super Bowl and then fumble the ball. Like, that was not the Patrick Mahomes that any of us have become accustomed to seeing. No, and that at some point you wonder how much of that is like a coaching type thing to where, you know, a lot of great coaches have the ability to reset their players in that moment and kind of get them back on track. Find but some you also way. wonder, though, 
how much can a coach really do? How much should a coach really do? I, I a don't know. like Patrick Mahomes, you're going to let him go because you've trust that guy. You know, he, he won you a Super Bowl. He took you to another one. He's arguably the top player in the league entirely right now. You kind of got to let that guy cook. about it. Yeah. Well, there are some people that want to say Aaron Donald's the best player in the NFL. And that's an interesting discussion you can have. But you got to let those guys cook. And sometimes they're going to burn it. I thought I could come up with a better analogy a little quicker. But yesterday, Patrick Mahomes overcooked the pasta. And the Chiefs are going to have the next seven or eight months to eat it. We should move well, on before I come up with something even dumber. Here's the thing: I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to do worse because I actually thought Sean McVay was kind of choking a little bit yesterday, but Jimmy G performed the Heimlich maneuver <laughs> and he coughed at the ball. I don't even know if that's You're right. That works. is dumber. Yeah. I don't even know if that entirely works. <laughs> However, John, have you ever given or seen anyone give the Heimlich maneuver? <laughs> no, actually, I shouldn't say that he performed the. Yeah. Well, himself. You know, Let's move on. Jimmy let's, G let's turned back into a pumpkin, right? Like he was he was well, getting them I, where they needed to go. I don't even he hadn't it, killed them yet. He, and he then wasn't, he was in the, even final... the chariot. Like he, he was he, he wasn't that good. <laughs> like he, there's no nothing to turn back. He was himself. He just like out of the final was... four teams, I think Garoppolo was probably the fifth best quarterback, right? Like I imagine Chad Henney, based on his performance last year in the playoffs when Mahomes got hurt. Probably you'd have more faith in Chad Henney than Jimmy Garoppolo I mean, to win me, you a game. <laughs> I couldn't even re- name the backup quarterback of of the Rams <laughs> or or the Bengals. So uh, is John Wolford still in LA? Remember last year when John Wolford played for Jared Goff and everyone thought, "Hey, this is an upgrade." Jared Goff, the former number one pick, and then one year later, Matthew Stafford comes in and leads the Rams to the Super Bowl. Like it, it's insane. But that was a game that it seemed like nobody was really interested in winning for a while. Like the first quarter ended, I think it was still scoreless. Like how, yeah. how, 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 how? I think it was, that was just emblematic of, uh, you know, an at, NFC West rock fight, the 49ers, because they're that kind of team. That's, that's their kind of game. But it kind of played out how I thought it would, where it would be kind of a closer game, but the Rams ultimately had more talent on both sides of the ball. So, you know, that, you know, played out in their favor. Like they, well, for the no, record, it played out exactly how both of us thought it would. I just had to swerve on the picks. Exactly. So, I, even, I even wrote as much. <laughs> like, but, what do the 49ers even have offensively? After Debo and Kittle? I, I couldn't like tell the, you who the, the running back like is. Like, like their best it. running plays are when they hand it off to Debo Samuel. <laughs> I, but like that's the thing, like Garoppolo wouldn't be the first guy to game manage a team to the Super Bowl. Kind of did it two years ago, like with this very same team. But it's obviously it's the end of the road for him in San Francisco now. Not because of this game, just because you don't draft a guy what third overall, like they drafted Trey Lance, and then keep Jimmy Garoppolo around. Here's the thing, like. He's not Neither. exactly playing behind an all-timer. Like, Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre. This is Brett Favre, right? Aaron Rodgers would not have sat behind Jimmy Garoppolo for three, four years or whatever it was. Here's the thing. Neither of them might be the quarterback next year, depending on how, how things play out. There's definitely a lot of interest. I'm sure we'll talk about that well, later. Well, yeah. <laughs> Before we do, though, like, I thought Sean McVay, like, it definitely looked like the moment got him. Both of his challenges, they were, there's, there's pretty much two types of challenges. There's... 
the uh, all right we you know we think we have like a good shot at getting this one overturned and then the sort of prayer of like i i need to make a difference in this game we we have to challenge it because there's nothing to lose if we don't right and he almost you know i I would say almost cost his team the game but those timeouts really could have come come up at the end not to bring up the first game though how did we talk about that Chiefs game and not talk about Andy calling timeout and then calling that a challenge? Was bad. That was really bad. That was one of those <laughs> things where it went, oh, no, this is this. And is then not them really, really yeah. needing a timeout at the end of the first half. Yeah, that uh, actually, you know. There you a go. little bit of a flashback. And I'm as big an Andy Reid defender as there is. But I was like, oh, OK, because <laughs> last week, why did they win that game? Because they had all their timeouts. At the end of the game. And then yesterday, we're going to call timeout and then we're going to challenge. If they had lost the challenge, they would have lost two timeouts at once. That would have been that would have been the piece de resistance of Andy Reid right there. I'm going to somehow burn two timeouts of the same play. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, you got to be a Hall of Fame coach to do something like that. But to bring it back to Sean McVay, here's the thing. I don't get the whole Sean McVay thing. Like... They went to a Super Bowl, and now they've gone to a second. But is he really that great a coach? Like, I, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know, and I don't, I don't know enough about you know the intricacies of what he does with his team to know if he's a great coach. I know that whoever built their team built their team to go to the Super Bowl this year, because they are not going to be able to afford this team for much longer, if even one more year. They gave up. I I think I heard them say they don't have a first round draft pick until 2024. That's two entire drafts that are going to pass without them having a first round draft pick. Now, if they have a Lombardi trophy for it, they won't care. They have Matthew Stafford. He's basically their first round draft pick. Right. And honestly, they needed to do this. They've they've talked about this before. They needed to do this to establish themselves in LA, especially with the second team being there. Beyond that, they just needed to cash in on the team that they had. You know, the defense they had, they went out and got Von Miller this year. If you have Aaron Donald and you go to one Super Bowl and you lose it 13-6, to six, you've wasted an all-time talent. They they were a quarterback away from being legit contenders. And then they faltered late this year. They almost didn't win the division. And then now they're they're playing the Super Bowl at home because the guy they went out and got did what you went out and got him to do. Sean McVay is going to be a very interesting study in about a year or two when they can't turn over the roster and they get old fast. If he decides not to stick around, he's going to get a Gruden-sized contract by somebody. I don't know. I hope if he he's... scrubs his email account in the intervening for his sake. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he's entirely worth that. I mean, in reality, I don't know if any non-Belichick Andy Reid coach is. But they proved themselves for a while before that. You know, he's kind of knocking on the door of achieving some things very, very early on. But I mean, honestly, I don't see it either. But, you know, you talk about a coach that could get paid, you know, 10 million a year for 10 years and have all kinds of say over personnel. Whenever he hits the market, which, you know, could be in two years, you know, he's going to get that contract. I can definitely see him coaching, especially if they win this year, coaching another year or two, spending a year doing TV, and then going to try and, for lack of a better term, rebuild another franchise. We're, we're saying all this stuff right now 
that we, you know we don't really buy into the whole mystique. But I can see the look on both of our faces. We're trying to do the timeline and think, Sean McVay, Eagles, twenty twenty five. I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows? What are we doing? What kind of? <laughs> what are we doing? What see kind now we're of... talking ourselves into. He took Jared Goff to the Super Bowl, huh? What kind of 4D chess are we playing? <laughs> well, let's nip that in the bud. We we can we can have that conversation many moons into the future. Two weeks from now, Super Bowl LVI, which I believe stands for 56. Rams, Bengals in the Rams home stadium, but it's gonna be kind of a a whitewashed, sanitized Super Bowl. It's not really a home game. I mean, yesterday's game wasn't really much of a home game for the Rams. <laughs> it was very funny to hear, no matter what the play was, there, there were cheers, like loud cheers. Like, I don't know if the crowd was 50-50. I had read before the game they were expecting it to be like 60-40 Niners fans because, like you said, they're not really established in L.A. Right. Yet. It was like an Eagles-Dolphins game except in a dome. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like the Eagles would outdo the Dolphins by a lot more than that. But uh, I, I just it, – it was it was kind of – it was like an international soccer match where it split between both teams and and it was it was it was it was, it was kind of cool but then you're like wait the rams are at home huh it's kind and of going to be at home it's kind of a bad show like granted the 49ers have a you know a much more rabid fan yeah. base that's emboldened by right it's just like Super cowboys Bowls, and but... steelers fans are all over the place because those teams were good for a a decade of of their existence and they won super bowls Right. We, were this close, we were this close to having a Niners Bengals Super Bowl. And that's the, I believe, the most common Super Bowl matchup of the 80s. The only two times the Bengals were in the Super Bowl, they played the 49ers. Oh, that, that would have been a fantastic, like, dig back into the NFL films archives to have the Super Bowl, which they're probably going to do anyways because it's been that long. Yeah. Early thoughts who you got? And I'm not asking just so I can make my picks based around yours. I mean, I'm comfortable with my lead in the picks anyways that I, I feel like. Well, I John, you what you don't realize is I'm going to add a number of picks to it, at least to give myself a chance. You know I'm going to do that. I'm comfortable in my lead oh, in the picks. Oh, man. But I'm going Rams. I, look, look I, I don't I don't know who's going to win. I, I, I'm fine with backing the Bengals if you're going to take the Rams and see how I, I couch that as, I don't know who's going to win. I'll take it just because it's the opposite. See how I pull that off, John? Now, if I'm wrong, oh, I didn't believe in them anyway. But then again, I don't think I've believed in them yet. I think I picked against them all That's three weeks. That's working out well for them. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I, I am doing to them what you did to the Bucks last year. So maybe maybe I'll go with the Rams uh, for the sake of, of Joey Burr and the Bengals. <laughs> we didn't even talk about Joe Burrow. <laughs> we talked about him last week. And we got all next week. I got to say, yeah, I got to say, they, they said that there have been two quarterbacks who have won the college championship and the Super Bowl, Joe Namath and Joe Montana, and now Joe Burrow has a chance. I missed my calling. I should have been a quarterback. It's all right. You don't so have to say I anything now, John. Yeah, we have one more thing, obviously. Shut up, John. Tom Brady retired on Saturday, and then he didn't retire. It was reported that he retired. If he retires, we can we can talk about it more at length as everyone else on the planet will. There was a story about a roster bonus being owed to him late this week, and then he won't retire before then. Apparently that's not true. There's something where he's going to get that money anyway, but then he owes the Buccaneers money if he retires. I I, I don't know 
Do you think Tom Brady will play another snap in the NFL? I don't think he's going to play another snap in Tampa. That's not what I asked, John. Do you think Tom Brady is going to retire before the start of the 22 season? I think there is a 90% Yes or no, John? That he's retired. But... 49ers. I'm the one asking the questions here, John. Okay, fine. All right, The question was, do you think he's going to retire? I did not think he was going to retire. I fully believe that even if he was leaning towards retiring, he might not now. I really don't know where to go. If you say he's going to retire, fine. I'll say he won't. The follow-up question, John, if he doesn't retire, where does he play next year? Sounds like you're leaning towards his hometown boyhood team. I mean... You know, where else to go? I mean, I would like San Francisco's got a nice view. So Could you imagine if the Buccaneers I, I, I don't I don't know if he's a free agent, but if the Buccaneers traded him to San Francisco for Jimmy Garoppolo, use him as that one year bridge while they figure out their future, because I doubt it's Blaine Gabbert. I mean, you have to wonder if I, I guess salaries have to match up at some point, but you'd have to think Trey Lance figures into that. Picture now, granted, if you're the Niners, you want him to be the quarterback after Brady. Yeah, but I think you would take Tom Brady to to be the uh, I don't know the the master, the the wisdom imparter. You know, why have Jimmy Garoppolo when you can have the guy that he was stuck behind, right? I mean, at this point, he's thinking rings, right? Like he's not going anywhere. Exactly, that and, he doesn't and in San Francisco. Chance, yeah, with better quarterback play, you know, that game might be in San Francisco yesterday. All the games might have been in San Francisco if they had better quarterback play this year. 100%. So so if Brady's going to play again, it's going to be a place he can win. Tampa doesn't have the weapons due to injury, at least in this playoffs, but they're going to have trouble re-signing everybody. And on-field retirement ceremonies. <laughs> I'm, I'm, still, I'm still thinking there was some injury involved there, too. But uh, where is his best chance to win – Basically, to be Matt Stafford, to go to a team that is a quarterback away. It has to be in the NFC. He's not going to the AFC. The Eagles aren't a quarterback away. No one in this division is. The Vikings, you thought, maybe were. with. That's why they brought in Kirk Cousins. He wasn't it. I mean, the Bucs, if they can keep guys together, the Panthers aren't there. The Saints, they, they, they have all sorts of issues. It's really... It's really the Bucks or the 49ers or retirement, I think, for Brady. Now, if you're the 49ers, like you're definitely thinking about, all right, who's going to be our quarterback next year? If it's not Brady, is it Aaron Rodgers? Well, that was my next question. Where does Aaron Rodgers play next year? Because I it's don't believe a for a minute. I, <laughs> I don't believe for a minute that he's actually considering retiring. No. No. Like, granted, he's getting married, so there are, you know, there are those changes going on. But no, no, he, he's not going to base his retirement decision. There on is marriage. no way he wants to go out with like a chump the last couple of years. Yeah, like an absolute chump. Because there, and where he is publicly right now is there's there's some kind of thing going on where he's. I don't think he cares. I I don't, I don't think he he cares, but there's a sense where he can, based on what he can tell you, is if he goes somewhere else and gets at least back to the Super Bowl. He can at least say, even if it's true or not, see, they didn't put the guys around me. It wasn't it wasn't me, it was them. I said and on I this very show he's gonna do it. I said on this very show that Aaron Rodgers was the most spiteful athlete that I think we had going today. And I still stand by that. 
I think Aaron Rodgers wants to win a Super Bowl now. Not to win a Super Bowl, but to shove it up the rear end of everybody who has hated on him this year. And and the, the one guy who's not going to vote for him for MVP. This, I think, is one of those things where I think he's back in Green Bay more likely than anything. People have talked about Denver for a while, and Denver is either going to or has hired his offensive coordinator in Green Bay as their head coach. And the, the thing that, that I can't stop thinking about there is, well, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert are in that division. The Raiders might do something. Derek Carr's pretty good, but they might think that there's a place you could see Tom Brady. Do you think he could elevate that team enough to make them contenders? Could you imagine if Tom Brady goes to Vegas, Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver with Mahomes and Herbert already there? That's going to be must-watch television. The the 4 o'clock window on CBS ratings through the roof nationwide. I don't think that'll happen. So you're saying Tony Romo's just going to camp out in that division? <laughs> Tony Romo's going to have to buy a place somewhere in like Phoenix or, or, or Denver area. But I, I think that the most likely outcome is that Roger stays in Green Bay. If Brady really does retire, then I do think the 49ers might. I mean, they'll have a pretty easy sell for Trey Lance. Like, look, this is the guy who did the thing we're asking you to do. And he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So we're going to bring him in. We're going to try to win next year, the year after. And then we can build around you after that. It doesn't matter what Trey Lance thinks about it. He's under contract. He'll he'll have no choice. But I, I, I think Green Bay is the most likely landing spot for Rodgers. I'd say retirement, and I'll go- agree with you, San Francisco for Brady. And then... I mean, who knows? We can find out a week from now Aaron Rodgers is retired and that Tom Brady is is going to Vegas. Who knows? But those are the things that make the most sense. Do you agree? Well, whatever happens, I'm sure between now and when the podcast comes out, I'm sure something will come out. <laughs> Brady will make his announcement tonight after we get off the air. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up the conference championship weekend of the NFL. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to bring it back to Philly. Last week, we teased a debate about Joel Embiid's status in Sixers history. We're going to have that debate or some variation of it in a moment. So stick around. We'll be right back. We're back here on the Philly Frenetics podcast, and just like last week, John, it's time to do the Philly part of the podcast. I think it was last week where I asked you a question about where you thought Joel Embiid ranked in the pantheon of all-time Sixers, and you told me to put a pin in it. Uh, my arm is bleeding from the pin. I don't, I don't think I did that right. So so let's take the pin out. I will go get medical attention John, where does Joel Embiid rank in the all-time Sixers player pantheon? With the caveat that we are doing this in the middle of a season and that you know the team hasn't won anything with him as a player yet. And I say yet because I do believe they will have some success down the road. But where, where does he rank right now as of the end of January 2022? Well, here's the thing. Last week when we were talking about it, top three was what you said. And then later on mm-hmm. in the text, I said Rushmore 
and then you said let the record show i never said rushmore i just think mount rushmore just, of of this or that is very cliche so i i think here here's the thing when you're ranking the sixers in not in terms of their overall basketball career but their overall sixers career you know julia serving spelled with an e <laughs> I was going to bring that up because obviously he's going to be one of the top couple guys and and they disrespected him the other night by spelling his name I R V I N G. I can't wait till they say all right, do Dr. J and it's D R J A Y. <laughs> it's it's going to be Dr. J for the rest of time. It's not like oh, man. It, you know Look, look, As I don't I want to talk about Julius Irving. I don't want to kill whoever was doing that because I am I, sure. No, at some no, point- they should be roasted as much as possible. Like you cannot do that. His name is on a giant banner on the roof. Like how, how, how? And, and does that mean nobody is like checking the graphics where they throw them up there? That's a graphics person and uh, a, a, an arena show director, at least that screwed that up. It's pathetic. It's disgusting. It's offensive. They should both be fired. Look, here's the thing. They might not have been checking, but they will be checking now. It's too late. Anyway, I digress. So. <laughs> Dr. J. Dr. J, I think he's the clear number one of the players on this list. I, I think he's the guy who, you know, spent most of his career here. You know, he did have that tenure with the ABA. Well, John, what's the list? You're talking about the guys on a list. What's your list of greatest Sixers of all time? Leave out Joel Embiid for now. So without Joel, Dr. J, Wilt, Moses Malone, Allen Iverson, Charles Barkley, Hal Greer, Billy Cunningham, because not only as a player, but as a coach, Matt Geiger, and that's oh, really? the list. <laughs> Matt Geiger. Matt Geiger, because he vetoed that trade that kept Allen Iverson in Philly for one more year. And that was the year that I think so many of us have been thinking about ever since because we're waiting for something else like that to happen. Can't believe that you left off Michael Carter Williams. Nerland's Noel, like the, the, the seeds of the process. I'm just kidding. Do you think that Joel Embiid is in that pool of players if he decided now to walk away? Yeah, he's definitely in, the, in that pool of players. He's not in the top three. I, I think this is a classic case where he's, he's just a little bit short for now. But we have why? to see. Why? Is it longevity? Is it success? Why is he short? I think it's longevity as this dominant player. Because when you look at the list, all right, so like I said, Dr. J, clear number one. No one's going to really argue his spot on the list. Maybe you argue where. If but, they don't win a title with him. Is it maybe a little foggier? Because that's my thought. Like I, I'm really hesitant to judge guys all time in team sports based on championships. Like you mentioned Charles Barkley. Is he any less of an all-time NBA great because he didn't win a title? To some people he is, not to me. So if I'm going to feel that way, it seems kind of hypocritical to give a guy credit for a title to elevate him if I'm not going to knock somebody down. But I do think it's kind of fair when you're talking about the context of a team's all-time legends, the point is to win championships. And when somebody does right. that, then you can say, well, yeah, maybe they're even, but you know, Dr. J has a ring with Philadelphia 76ers world champions on it. Right. And in his case, because he was so close for so many years, there were so many finals appearances where they didn't get it done. 
it became the mantra for the team that we're going to win this one for Doc. Not Philly, not themselves, for him. So there was True some... story, John. When the Sixers won the title in 1983, I was born a few months later, and then we didn't win again for 25 years. That was your fault. I'm not saying it was or wasn't, but I'm also not not saying that. Continue. So I think the second guy on the list is Allen Iverson. Again, as a Sixer, he didn't play all of his career here, but he played the years that really counted here. Right. His, his peak. He's and I, when you look at a list like this, to kind of what you're we're saying about Charles Barkley, a lot of times greatness isn't necessarily defined by, you know, the numbers they put up or even the titles they won. Unless you're like Tom Brady, Joe Montana level, that's when you really start counting titles. But there's something that about that player that sort of changes an era. For Dr. J, it's the it's the slam dunks. There's a there's a class sort of personified with him. You know, he's like a Mr. Cool type, like everybody wants to be him. Allen Iverson, different person, but he was culturally <laughs> Yeah. Like but he was culturally significant. Let's just say we don't go to the TGI Fridays on City Avenue <laughs> in the hopes of running into Dr. J. I mean has has Dr. J even been in a, in a TGI Fridays? I think he's a man of the people. We we probably shouldn't advertise for TGI Fridays. You mentioned another podcast earlier. We shouldn't be mentioning other podcasts. We're just giving this away all this free advertising. Anyway, but so like I think Allen Iverson was similarly like a cultural symbol, and then he had that one year. Actually, he had, he had a couple of dominant years. He wasn't Kobe Bryant. He didn't reach that level, but he was still. At that level for a few years, but he had that one magical season, and we've been just hanging on to that ever since. Like him, there are over people out there. I, you just mentioned. You're sorry, I, I didn't mean to say what you you're know exactly are. what I was going to say. Yeah, there yeah. are probably people with that image tattooed on their bodies, and they don't regret it for a second. True story. I was actually, I actually missed you got the first that tattooed of, on your. Oh. I will tell you where. <laughs> um, I actually missed the first part about that game because I was at a Phillies game at the vet. And we saw the end of that Typical game because John. it was an overtime. Yeah. <laughs> I think the tickets were pre-purchased. Anyway, so after that, Kat, I think after that, so that's where you have a lot of like two A's in the group. So you have Wilt, who obviously, you know, he might be the best player to ever play, but you know, his best years, his his you know, he had great years as a sixer. He won a title as a sixer. The title team, you know, that he played on might be the best team ever played, at least of the early NBA. A lot of people you know, made that claim. So you have that. But when you look at his peak years, he was only here for a few seasons. And actually, you know, his career, you know, in Philly was only four years. But you compare that with his career as a Philadelphia Warrior and a San Francisco Warrior. Yeah, that we're was not talking seasons. about the greatest Philadelphia right. basketball players. Right. We're talking about the Sixers. Right. So when you... You know, if you look at his his stats, you know, the the black ink categories they call that are the you know the league leader categories. First six years. Tell us you use Basketball Reference without saying you use Basketball Reference. <laughs> that's what I used. <laughs> so you know he led the league in scoring all six of those years, including averaging fifty point four points a game, which is just an insane number. That's a different era. Yeah, it's incomprehensible nowadays, yeah. So there's things that you just cannot compute. Charles Barkley, also on the list. You know, he's a guy who, you know, title or not, 
I think he's he's just kind of hanging around there. He's also a transcendent figure in the game, but because he didn't really he played half of his of his career here, half in almost you know mo- the years that we really think about with his MVP seasons in Phoenix, and then he finished out in Houston. So we have those years. It's hard to put him really above. You know, you you then have Hal Greer, who played the bulk of his career. I, I believe the entirety of his career in the organization. But again, he split between, you know, cities in that regard. You know, Billy Cunningham, who as a Sixers lifer, but that doesn't really right. get you done. Matt Geiger, we thank him for his service. <laughs> Billy he's, Cunningham he's is coaching really the, the all-time team. He, he, whatever right. your all-time Sixers team is, he's the coach. Right. So then... To answer the question, when we get get around to Joel Embiid, I feel like he's right there. He's right in the conversation. When you, but you have to remember not just this season, his the entirety of his career. So he sat out the first two years, and then, you know, as he's building himself, you know, you're seeing flashes. But right now, I think he's only really been this guy the last two seasons. But he's been very good before that. There's like there's a different level. Like he was definitely like I would say second team NBA in the conversation for best center in basketball. But right now, it's really only between him and one other guy for maybe best player in basketball this season. And I, I feel like he gets another two years, even if not at this level, but just a little bit below. I think he's firmly in the number three spot. If a title comes into play, the sky's the limit. And honestly. His Q rating in Philly is probably as high as any athlete since Brian Dawkins and, retired. And that, that is the point that ultimately I wanted to get to. The reason that I asked the question, I was interested in your answer, but I was more interested in the, the, the way that you got there. Like, obviously, he is one of the most dominant players in the NBA, right? There, there isn't anybody quite like him. But his popularity here in Philadelphia and his lack of popularity in other places for reasons that we tend to embrace more than other cities do. I think that's what really elevates him. And so, you know, say he plays out the rest of this contract signs here again. Maybe he doesn't, I, I don't know. Even if he doesn't play the rest of his career here, he will be welcomed back to ring the bell to, to sit courtside, to sit in the luxury boxes and wave to people for the rest of his life. Right. There's pictures of the guy at the Jersey Shore like that, like that iced his spot in whatever Mount Rushmore you eventually want to build. Right. Like none of these guys on the team are vacationing in the same place where the fans of the team are, you know. And I think that is the thing. It can kind of cloud our judgment. And it's hard to sometimes see through that. It's like, is Joel Embiid the greatest sixer of all time? He might be the most popular sixer of all time, if you think about all the different ways that guys are exposed now. Like it's not just their play, you know, the social media, the stuff outside of the game and all that. But if you look at it objectively, you talk about Dr. J, Allen Iverson, you know, Wilt Chamberlain, Moses Malone. These are Hall of Fame guys. Joel Embiid could be a Hall of Fame guy someday, but he's not right now. And if he stopped playing tomorrow, he wouldn't be. So how do you define greatness? Are, are we talking the greatest Sixers? Are we talking about the best Sixers? Are we talking about our favorite Sixers? It, it really it really matters what it is you're trying to trying to discern there. And 
I, I think it's interesting, you know, we talk about recency bias. I think there's a popularity bias in the fact that we all love Joel Embiid, whether he was putting up the numbers that he's putting up or not. I, I just saw a tweet earlier since he didn't play in tonight's game, his January was over and his per 48 minute averages, he averaged 50.8 points per 48 minutes. You just talked about Will Chamberlain averaging 50 points per game for a full season. Joel Embiid averaged 50 points per 48 minutes for an entire month. That's a pretty long month at that. That's that's crazy. Obviously, they're, they're not the same thing. But even if he wasn't playing that well, he's so incredibly popular that if he kept playing at a decent level, I think he would be widely considered one of the top Sixers of all time. And I was just curious to see where you thought he stood now he was drafted in 2014. How long ago was that? How long ago does that feel? I mean, it's a it's a lifetime of fandom. Remember that draft night where it looked like he was like, oh no, where am I going? What? Huh? And it's almost like he has spent every day of his career trying to prove that he wasn't disappointed to be here. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm, I'm thinking of as we're speaking? I'm remembering, unfortunately, this might be the high tide of the, the process era or even the post-process era, however you want to define it. Um, if you think back to the series against the Raptors, I'm sorry, I should have given out some kind of... Come on, man. Trauma warning. <laughs> so in that series, I think it was either uh, game three or game four, right in the middle. The Sixers were in the middle of taking a commanding lead and he drove down the lane and gave a thunderous windmill dunk. And it had the look of this series is over. But as he's, as it's going to commercial and, you know, the hero shot of him, you know, celebrating is going out. Mark Jackson, who's doing the TV for the game says, it's going to be a crime if this man is not celebrated as one of the all time greats in this game. <laughs> and then, and the then collapse, I think he had a bad cheeseburger and it all went downhill. Right. And then, you know, the, the collapse happened. I'm sorry. Kawhi shot Jimmy Butler, blah, blah, blah. You know, and now we're here. And you think, how good was Joel Embiid then? It was certainly the best team he was on, but it wasn't his best. We're seeing it now. But he was so good then, but we're just seeing a whole other level. I don't even know if Allen Iverson was ever this dominant. Like he had, he had some I don't think it's work. possible for, uh, I mean, I was going to call him a point guard. He's really a combo guard. I don't think it's possible for a smaller player to dominate in the way that a big man does at the top I mean, of he, this game. He had games where his outside shot was going where he yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, he can score a bunch of points, but you're talking about being dominant. And I, 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 I just, you watch Embiid and he's dominant. You think of a guy like Iverson taking over a game, Joel Embiid dominates a game. And it's just very different. It's just a more visceral thing with a big man, like throwing down dunks, swatting shots away, changing shots, just being undefendable. In soccer, they call it unplayable. It's kind of the opposite. You hear a guy's unplayable. You're like, oh, man, he sucks. No, it means that he's you you can't defend him. He's unplayable for anyone else on the, on the field. Right. And, and Joel Embiid right now is unplayable. I mean, who could who can really stop him? You know, it's it's really at this point. Jokic, Giannis, maybe? The guys on his own team are the only ones in his right. way between him and a title. And that's what, the thing. Like you talked about being on that great team against the Raptors. They need to be able to have guys who don't require Joel Embiid 
to dominate a game every time out. And that is why this whole Simmons thing is is such a thing, I guess is the best way to put it. Because they have a guy who is a great compliment for him, if everyone's used correctly, just sitting on the bench or not even sitting in the arena. And then an asset that they're just not even using. And it's why everyone feels like they're wasting this year out of Embiid because nobody thinks the Sixers can win the title as currently constructed. I mean, honestly, And I don't think Daryl Morey does either. Honestly, I think that is fueling what we're seeing from Embiid. Oh, absolutely. Clearly, 100%. Clearly, he put the work in the offseason. But I, I think clearly... I, you're, and the only person who can maybe answer this is Joel Embiid. But what I wonder is... There's, there's two things going on here. One is him going, look, we're not going to win a title, so I'm going to get my MVP this year. And, you know, that's going to be how I put myself in the greats of the game is I'm going to do this. I'm going to go all, all out. Or two, he's saying, I'm going to go all out for my team. I think it's actually the second one. Because if you saw how pumped up he was with Tobias Harris hitting that shot the other night, it's really hard to come away with another opinion. But regardless, we're just seeing just something. I, I mean, he wants should, to win. He wants to win be, a championship, but he wants to win every game, right? He wants he to play wants every to game and he here. wants to win. Yeah, for He's sure. Not, he is not LeBroning this yet. Uh, we'll see what happens with. I how think the, the Sixers need to LeBron him a little bit. Like he didn't play tonight against yeah. Memphis. That's a pretty good team, but he he needs to not play every game. And they need to tell him that because his instinct he knows. is he knows his instinct. He knows but he's but a competitor. He because can you believe he, that a season and a half ago, even I think the two of us people were still wondering should the Sixers build around Embiid or Simmons? Who should they keep? Who's the, like that is so stupid in retrospect. I feel stupid for even engaging in a conversation like that after watching Joel Embiid right now and not watching Ben Simmons. The, the question with Embiid was the health. Right. And the question with Simmons was the, well, Simmons. Offensive really. game and, yeah, the interest in the game, yeah. And it's it's changed so much. It's, it, honestly, this situation is, is what makes the NBA great because you're seeing, like, all these guys are pretty talented. Like, they're all, like, the, the level of athleticism in the game now is off the charts. But what you're seeing now is it's it's a case study for what internal will and drive can do to elevate you. Joel Embiid isn't inherently that much more talented than Ben Simmons. They're a comparable level of, of athletic talent. But Joel Embiid has it in him. He's got something in him. He wants to shed the label of him being frail or injury prone or whatever. He wants to... He, so say what Shaq talked about last week. He hears the criticism, and then he, you know, improves on it, or he tells it fuels him to on the court it. and doesn't fuel him to hide at home. Right. Whereas Ben Simmons is is the opposite. So it, it's an interesting case study. I I kind of wish it wasn't happening here. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think I think we'd all prefer to have either both of them on the floor or something in return. But regardless, and you know, we should probably wrap with this or something like this. You know. We're seeing one of the all-time great seasons we're ever going to see. We should cherish it while we can because I don't know if we're ever going to see someone be quite this dominant ever again. John, this is Philadelphia. If it ends in a second-round flameout, that's what everyone's going to remember. 
on that. That's note. unfortunate, but it's true, and you know it, and I know it. But I agree with John. Savor what you're seeing out of Joel Embiid. Hopefully, they don't need it from him in future years, and that's the key to a championship. The other key to a championship, John, liking and subscribing the Philly Frenetics podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, still on Spotify for now, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and more. Our website, phillyfrenetics.com. Our social media accounts, at Philly Frenetics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week, John. There's no NFL games. We might we might have to talk about the Sixers and Flyers again. Maybe we'll dig out some Eagles content. Who knows? Super Bowl in two weeks. We'll talk about that. But for now, enjoy a Sunday where you can actually take a breath instead of watching sports all day. What? I know, right? <laughs> Who would want to do that? John, I'll talk to you next time. See you next time. <laughs>